What would change in the world if you, me, and everyone choose to feed the wolf of possibilities instead of the one of doubt, distrust, and despair? The way I see it, our point of view creates reality, not the other way around. Somewhere deep within, I think we know that. In this podcast, I am daring you to claim this remarkable superpower. Join us and be inspired by trackers, explorers, and finders of possibilities from the multiverse of hope. Welcome to the podcast, Feeding the Wolf of Possibilities, with your host, Katrina Valentin. So welcome to this episode of Feeding the Wolf of Possibilities. Today, Shannon O'Hara and I will dive into myths, mysteries, and legends. We'll explore the difference between mythological obligations and mythological possibilities, and look at how you can train your knowing. Shannon is a returning guest and one of my greatest inspirations. She is also the creator and founder of Talk to the Entities, an access consciousness speciality class, and an expert in the field of mysteries, myths, and legends. So welcome, Shannon. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, everybody. <laughs> like it is Sunday, like, hoo, hoo, hoo. Like, hoo, hoo, hoo. Yeah, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. <laughs> exactly. So... What are myths and legends the way you see it? Well, a legend, (laughs) a legend is like an epic story. It's such an incredible story that it becomes a legend. Mythology is another, it's sort of a funny one because they use it to denote a lot of stuff that could be also considered historical record, but doesn't match up to the current mores and standards of reality. I've actually learned a lot from mythology and it depends on the myth depending on how valid and useful it could be for me today right it's interesting because I looked up like famous legends and famous myths and the the legends like the lost city of Atlantis or Robin Hood or the fountain of youth and like you say there is they're like this huge story that inspires me just reading the name of the legend while myths are more I don't know more about gods and Tor and Hercules, right. things like that. And they are somehow, I don't know, it's, it's like I'm more detached from the myths while the legends makes me go, it's like you say, yes. <laughs> so in that, what, what is it that make, makes the legends more reachable somehow? Well, I don't actually have the same experience as you about the legends oh. being more reachable. Tell me what the myths do for you. Mythology, I mean, obviously, like the Greek, all there's all the Greek mythology, which I think is a pretty popular mythology. There's books written about it. I've read many myself about it. And it's sort of like the beginning of the archetypes that we experience in life. Yeah. But mythology is also really closely in my universe related to fantasy. And fantasy is where you get all the fairy tales. And as somebody who has been very sensitive to the spirit world all my life, I actually learned a huge amount about the nature spirits specifically that I was experiencing as a youth and as a teen that I had nowhere to go for information about that. I remember when I was was like my 19th or 20th birthday or something, and I was alone for some reason for my birthday. So I took myself on a, for a hike in the mountains in Santa Barbara, where I was from, and I was feeling really sorry for myself, you know, and 
I started going into, yeah, just feeling really sorry for myself, but also needing something I wasn't asking for. Anyways, I crossed this creek bed and down the creek to my right, I saw like all of this like sparkling in action. And I turned to look at what it was. And all I saw was the creek. And I turned back to face forward. And I saw again, like all this activity and, and action and sparkling. And I turned back to look at it again. And it was these water spirits completely saying hello to me and being present with me. And I burst into tears. Like I didn't have this cognitive explanation of, oh, it's water spirits and oh, they're really healing me. And it wasn't like that. It was like, as soon as I really opened up to what was there without the logic, I started crying and it was like, but it wasn't like crying sad. It was like this massive change that occurred. And it was this incredible gift that I got on my birthday and I wasn't alone and it was valuable and relevant to me. And so I then sort of was like water spirits. What's, I was like, I don't really know anything about that, you know? And so over time, I started collating and hearing and seeking out different legend and sort of like mythological record from mostly, interestingly, Asian cultures that talk about water spirits. But even in the Scandinavian folklore, they talk a lot about water trolls. And that's the sort of stuff where when I hear that, it's easy to push that into not real because it's fantasy or it's mythological record. However, it has painted a really much clearer picture for me about what I perceive and especially what I've perceived swimming, you know, in the oceans of Scandinavia. When I go out too deep, I start feeling this really strong pull into the depth of the water. I'm like, no, thank you. You know, and it's like, so for me, it's been a huge help in that way. There is also this element of myths and legends where since they are from so far back in time, they were never really written down in the beginning, at least. And they're part of this oral tradition that changes and develops with time and over time. So what does that mean for the influence they have? That's a really interesting question. I it, I mean, what keeps coming up is I just recently did a whole bunch of, as you do, research on the Bible and the Old Testament and who wrote it and all. The, and I, I dive into the weirdest topics at the weirdest times. But um, there are these incredible sort of modern day scholars that are going back and matching archaeological, like modern archaeological record, like what we have now as archaeological proof to the biblical stories and able to sort of like validate or disprove a lot of the stories of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament obviously was like the original part of the Bible that was written thousands and thousands of years ago by a number of different authors. And they talk about actually the main characters of the Old Testament, well, Adam and Eve, obviously, but Mm. uh, Moses, Noah, etc. There's like an argument about if that's historical record or if it's a mythological or a, um, what do they call them? work of legend, actually, I think is how they call it. So, and they say that a lot of, they sort of explain a lot of the different stories of the Bible and the different characters of the Bible. And they determine how accurate the stories are based on how close to the events the story was written. And if the story was written hundreds of years after the event about a particular character, it's considered less accurate because people's memories of the event have changed so much over time because the people writing the story weren't actually there. They're just writing the story based on the word of somebody else, which has been removed, you know, Chinese whispers multiple times. And then, and then of course, when you add in people's points of view on top of that and hearing what they want to hear and twisting things into the way they want to tell them, 
And then we have the Christmas mythology where the placement of the actual celebration on the 25th of December is actually part of a political game at the time. I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious that's an astrological story. So obviously mm. before Christianity, there was, well, before Christianity, there was Judaism, but there was also a huge amount of paganism and other earth religions or earth worshiping. And at that time, obviously, there was a huge amount of reverence paid to the celestial bodies, the cycles of the sun and the moon, because they had such a huge impact on our lives, because most of us were living outside. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, like, December 25th isn't always the shortest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, but, I mean, it falls around there, and that's when the sun returns. So that's the shortest day of the year, and then the sun returns, and that's actually what the Christians interpreted as the birth of the sun, which was actually the sun in the sky. Yeah, and then they put Jesus' birthday on there. Yeah, Yeah, they're like, this is a convenient thing we can (laughs) can use. it, but that's like, that's the a layer of the myth. But then, so how do we navigate the myths and know what contributes to us, know what's true for us and actually use them instead of disregard them as mm, it's right. a myth, it's a lie? Well, that's, a, I think it's a really interesting question because the thing that we just talked about, about the return of the sun and the shortest day of the year being around December 25th in the Northern Hemisphere every year, um, that's not a myth, that's fact that's that's the, how the celestial bodies work so that's but then when they layer on top this story about Jesus um, and I'm not refuting or saying anything about Jesus's existence or not but the story that comes after it could be considered mythological record but I think it's just like everything we have to be in our knowing and that's true of mythology that's true of information that we're given directly as fact I mean I was reading something was it yesterday about energy and where quantum physics is with understanding like the building blocks of <laughs> ener- like the universe, basically the building blocks of the world and it's energy, essentially I'm putting it in layman's term, but they talk about subatomic particles and that they used to think it was this and this and this, and now they think it's this and this and this. So even like things that are considered fact at times are not, and they have to, mm. and they're continuously disproved and improved as more questions are asked. So with mythology, information in general, like accessing information, like I accessed information about earth spirits through mythological and fantasy records, like thank God somebody remembered it and wrote it down and put it in a children's book so I could be like, oh, but then there's other stuff that, I mean, you always have to be in the question and following your knowing because there's so much information coming at us all the time. So how much do we actually disregard things if they are called a myth? or a legend well I don't I can't I can't speak <laughs> to people in general I don't disregard I'm always I feel like I've got this incredible gift in living in that I listen to everything and I am able to receive stuff that is parts and pieces of giving me greater awareness over time and even if it's just something that somebody says passing on the street or I mean finding like the right foot exercise that comes like all of a sudden like it'll come because I was scrolling Instagram and saw this one person using a footband and then followed the path into this random video that now is this foot exercise. It's like totally changing my life. Exactly that. 
And that's something you've trained. It's like a capacity that you've allowed to expand and grow. And it has developed into, it's only a whisper required for you to take that path and find more information. Mm. So if somebody is a brand new information extrapolator in this world, how could they start to start listening to everything, basically? Well, again, I really have to circle back to that thing about trusting your knowing. The reality of today is more now than ever in history are we we are bombarded by information, a constant stream of information. And on a psychic level, but also on a technological level, we have access to information and platforms of information that have never existed in the history of ever on this planet. So it's more important now than ever to really trust your knowing. And especially, I mean, I think a lot of us can relate to coming out of or experiencing, I don't actually think we're out of it, but experiencing all the stuff that's been going on globally since March, 2020 with the, you know what, and just all of the information that's coming out and watching, you know, mainstream news outlets propagating incorrect information. And then people trying to speak up and have a different point of view, literally getting censored off of YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, essentially. So it's this thing where it's more important now than ever to, I mean, we might even look back at this time as at the Corona myths, this myth that was put forward as fact. And, you know, any educated person and person who really teaches themselves about viral, like what is a virus? What is virology? How does this work amongst our human biology? It's a very different story than the one that they're perpetrating in the mainstream. So we might even look back, you know, in 50, 100, 200, 300 years, like our descendants might look back at this time as a time of great mythology. Then uh, let me ask you, what is the difference of, you know, listening to everything and follow that and becoming a so-called conspiracy theorist? Well, that's, again, it's the knowing. Yeah, I remember watching this documentary about the Heaven Gates cult, like maybe 11, 12 years ago. And I was so freaked out afterwards. It was like, I was super activated. I was so creeped out. And I remained creeped out and totally freaked out for a while. And I actually called my dad. I mean, I'm really lucky to have like this extremely different kind of father. And I said to him, I was like, I was watching this documentary about the Heaven's Gate cult and it like totally freaked me out. And like, I can't like, I need help. I'm like totally activated by this thing. And he goes, well, you need to know what's actually insane. And it was like the first time I'd ever really like, cause it's so easy to think we're insane. Like all the time, especially in the business that I have been in for the majority of my adult years, which is talk to the entities, you know, which is like so easy to classify as crazy a crazy place like most people think when they hear voices that they're crazy and I'm like this voice of reason being like what if you're not crazy what if you're actually aware what if those are spirits you know so that thing about like knowing what's true versus like conspiracy theory is like there's a difference between like true insanity and being aware of stuff that society doesn't approve of or is a very unpopular awareness and the easiest way to reject that awareness is to you know classify it as insane so most of us who aren't insane rock around thinking we're insane so it's using the same word but has two very different realities I also wonder wonder when I 
when um, you talk about that, especially documentary, if it's actually one of the key ways to notice if it's a like conspiracy theory or if it's actually something that's true and contributing right. to so, if, right. if you attached right or wrong to it. Because the yeah. conspiracy theorists are so convinced they're right that they won't listen to anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's really saved me with awareness in general is the really simple sort of like energetic freedom of when something's heavy, it's not true. And when something's light, it is. And that's really what's helped me cut through the jungle of everybody and everything. The constant noise of this reality is by if it's heavy at all, like I know it's not, it's not real and it's not true. But that's a freedom I've given myself. And somebody could call me crazy or I'm not, you know, I'm being unrealistic or I'm detached from reality. Okay, but you know what? I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, and you also don't have any energy on it. One of the things that we both facilitate access consciousness classes, and one of the things that's very clear is if somebody tells a story that has a lot of energy to it, like a lot of investment and energy and kind of, of like a, yeah. a fight to it, then there's something there that that it, they're defending or that's right about it that actually is not allowing them to see the full picture. So when you're saying oh, people could call me crazy, there's no energy to that. There's nothing there. Right. Like, I really don't care what other people think. I think that's probably what the moral of the story is. Yeah. <laughs> Nor do I particularly care what people believe. So it's like, you know, I think, I think a lot of conspiracy theorists, unfortunately, they might be aware of very real and relevant stuff, but then it's sort of like they have this desperation to get other people to see it, which that's I think where we make ourselves really crazy because you can't make people who don't want to be aware be aware well talking about choosing to be unaware you've also dived in and explored something called ancestral myths and they seem very relevant at Christmas time to me what are they well that's kind of a big that's kind of a (laughs) massive question um (laughs) The ancestral myths would be essentially that who you are today is based on like your line of biological ancestry, which is still a very held and held to point of view primarily in Asia. And ancestral myths are like the same as essentially the myths of family, that family makes you who you are. You can only choose based on what your family is willing to choose or is willing to, you know, allow you to choose all your choices are like the sum total of like your ancestral line. Like the, that's the mythology of ancestry, but really essentially the, the mythology of family. Right. That family is this real and true thing that limits you or makes you who you are. And it isn't. How does one use the ancestral myths of your family as a possibility and not as a limitation? Growing up in, since I grew up in California, I grew up in a very, I mean, I grew up on like the edge, edge, edge of the new world, like the very most cutting edge of the new world. And it was like, family was irrelevant. I don't want to say that cavalierly. It's, I don't mean it like that, but it was really like both of my biological parents had left their families intentionally in the seventies and went to California and sort of like never went back. So there was not a lot of interest or connection to family and the old world. So I didn't have a lot of family like importance, which is different. Like some of us grow up with a huge amount of family importance placed on us and others of us don't have family really at all. For those of you guys that don't really have family at all, like maybe like 
count your blessings. And for those of us that have a huge amount of like family importance placed upon us and we're really raised in a like looking backwards and being very made to value family, it's, it's that thing of like what's relevant here and what isn't relevant. I mean, what's relevant, what's really true is that it's getting really cold in the Northern Hemisphere and, well, it's getting really cold in Europe and eventually it will get warm again. Like, that's what's true. <laughs> you know, where you go for Christmas Day is sort of like irrelevant in the scheme of things. <laughs> yes, that is, that is very true. So invention, lies, relevance... Where do you start to find what's true for you in a myth? Christ mass obviously is an invention and it's a story that was used and invented to perpetrate a particular agenda. I wish that we were on this mat, had this mass consciousness that there seems to be around Christmas and like the Christmas decorations and gift giving. I sort of wish that that was translated into like awareness of the earth, which it originally was, you know, we don't tend to have a lot of significance around or even connection to the solar movements and the, and the seasonal changes anymore. I mean, in Scandinavia, you guys still, you guys still celebrate like midsummer, like really seriously celebrate midsummer, which is the longest day of the year. Right. So that's, that's another like pagan leftover holiday that sort of Sweden somehow never got rid of. It is our biggest holiday, actually. It beats yeah. all the other ones. And I really, it makes me smile when you say that. What if, what if there is a different way of actually celebrating the changing of seasons and the following of the ancestral bodies, like you are saying, and what if we could actually choose that? It's so interesting because it comes from that. <laughs> when you're willing to receive everything, you actually can choose what parts of it is true for you and what parts would contribute and what parts you can just let go of now. Exactly. And I mean, most people know at Christmas, it's like family time, which might be fun for some people, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that a lot of people also really struggle with family Christmas time. And that's a total self-imposed, like, mythological obligation. Cool to, like, look at, like, the spirit of what Christmas is, like, supposed to be. <laughs> like, that's the fantasy. That's the mythology. The, the Christmas legend where it's, like, warm and cozy and there's, you know this sort of like internal coziness that occurs within the family and the sea, but really and truly it's the preparing for the cold season um, the winter season where you go inward and you start, you know, living off of the preserve of the harvest of the of the summer. And that's, I think that that is a connection to the earth and like the honoring of the rhythms of the earth that to me is a lot more relevant than, you know, wearing a Santa costume in Australia on the beach in Queensland when it's 45 degrees. <laughs> I, and I mean Celsius, because it's in the Southern hemisphere, you know, December 25th is hardcore summer. I think that's brilliant. The mythical obligations versus the mythical possibilities. That pretty much sums it up in a beautiful shimmering Christmas ball. Well, thanks for having me. And I, I mean, I love these sorts of conversations. I don't know if other people do, but it's like, I like to think differently and to reach into new questions. So I love the questions that you're asking and thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast, Feeding the Wolf of Possibilities. I hope you have more space in your world now. 
If you would like to listen to earlier episodes, share with other people, or subscribe, please go to Spotify, iTunes, or visit katrinavalentin.com slash wolf.